0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day time appropriate greetings depending on where in the world or in the country you are listening to the schmidt show podcast i am your host brad schmidt thanks for joining me this afternoon this morning this evening wherever it is that you uh are joining me from it is uh it's an interesting week we got a lot to talk about we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, protests in hong kong and some of what's going on uh over there during over the weekend um according to um According to the Associated Press, the, uh, some of the marchers, some of the protesters in Hong Kong have been calling for uh, President Trump to engage, to get involved and uh, support their protests against China, against uh, their government and the, the various things that are going on. Um, I believe the word they used was uh, they, would a- they were asking President Trump and the U.S. to quote unquote liberate the uh, the, uh, uh, the word that they used in the a p report and i 've got a link to this in the article in the uh, show notes the semi autonomous chinese territory um, the par- the march uh, apparently was mostly mostly peaceful um, until later in the evening when some of the uh, the the uh, protesters were met with tear gas and things from police. Um, there's, there's a lot to discuss in this. I've been following this, this, um, this situation kind of on the periphery. I haven't really been digging very, very heavily into it, but I have been following it and kind of keeping tabs on it. Of course, many of us have seen the, the, uh, the, the photographs and the videos of, uh, Hong Kong, uh, protesters waving American flags and, uh, calling for, uh, American intervention. We've seen them, you know, singing the American national anthem in the streets in response to the the police and the uh, and the the uh, military and government uh, intervention in the situation. Um, of course, over the weekend again, you know, there was more reports of the uh, protesters singing the Star Spangled Banner. Um, they apparently also officially handed over a, a letter. Um, to the to the U.S consulate uh, in in Hong Kong. And so um, the requesting requesting essentially assistance. And this is an interesting place for me to be, um, as a conservative, uh, as a as a guy who who wants less government intervention, less government involvement in our lives, and quite honestly, in the lives of of everyone, um, I, I find this um, to be somewhat of an interesting place um, to be because this is a group of people who have been um, fighting for some time for greater liberty. Um, I don't know if the, the if the ultimate goal was to see you know quote unquote independence or anything like that, but they've been fighting the the tyranny of the chinese government for a long long time they they were granted some autonomy i think was it was it 99 or it happens maybe later maybe it was 2009 i can't remember it was there was a, a essentially a 99 year agreement that came uh, to fruition, I, I don't remember all the details on it, so I might I might have the information wrong on that. But there was a long-standing agreement that eventually came to fruition that that allowed them uh, greater autonomy and and whatnot, um, but not full independence. And so I, I'm not entirely certain that full independence is the goal. Like I said, I've only really been kind of following this on the periphery. But this article that that kind of intrigued me or or pushed me to want to talk about it on the podcast today was this article um that said that the the marchers were officially asking through the consulate through the US State Department um to to get involved to intervene to help uh you know quote unquote liberate them from the the tyranny of the Chinese government and this is it reminds me or harkens back to the, the history lessons that we learned in elementary school. Many of us went to uh, elementary school here in the U.S., or uh, of us that went to elementary school here in the U.S., many of us will remember the stories of the American Re- Revolution. We remember the assistance that we received from the French and from the Spaniards and, and even from, from the Prussians, from the Germans. There was it wasn't the Germany as we know it today, but the the uh there there are I think they were called Hessians um and and Prussians. The they they're somewhat mercenaries really. Um they were actually there was fighting for both sides on the revolution, um, by the Hessians, by the Germans. Um but there was a lot of assistance from other places around the world. I believe the Netherlands, I believe uh, Denmark even helped out a little bit. Um, But there was a lot of assistance from various parts of the world in the U.S. in what would later become, I guess, the U.S. in the American Revolution. And so there is certainly precedent that says when a country or a group of people are seeking independence or are seeking liberation from other countries or from their their oppressors, that other countries who have similar values, who have similar desires or or ideologies, will come to their assistance. I mean, we saw this in in Kuwait back in the late nineties or early nineties when when Kuwait was invaded by Iraq, the U.S. Uh, helped push. Iraq back into Iraq and out of Kuwait. We helped liberate Kuwait. Um, we have we have helped over the years. We helped uh, Europe be liberated from the 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 uh, the throes of the Nazi army. And so there has been a significant history of the U.S. not only getting involved but but fighting militarily to help liberate. Uh, people and communities and and countries around the world. Now, agree with that or not, I mean, call it American imperialism or call it American heroism, depending on how you view it, 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 it's really somewhat irrelevant to the discussion because it, it simply sets a precedent that there are times when not just the US but other nations around the world and and as i mentioned the french the spaniards and and others that came to the aid of the united states in the 1700s to overthrow the tyranny of of great britain of the of uh, of the united kingdom and there have been times where the us has been involved in helping liberate various parts of the world from Uh, their oppressors, from their uh, harbingers of tyranny. And so now here we stand at a crossroads where not only are we seeing oppression, are we seeing tyranny, are we seeing um, a, a malevolent group oppressing a group who seeks freedom and desiring to get involved. And I mean, there have been times in the world where we weren't necessarily asked to be involved, but we saw it as our duty, our moral obligation as the quote unquote police force of the world to get involved, to encourage the UN to allow us to get involved, to work with NATO to get involved in, in, in a million different ways, right? there have been times where we have without invitation got in gotten involved and and the same is true again this is not just not just uh um exclusive to the united states other countries have done this for for millennia this is this is nothing new when when oppressed peoples um are oppressed and and those that have the the strength and and moral character to do so they do and so now, like I said, here excuse me, here we are in 2019, and we are um, we see the tyranny. We see the the issues that are being faced by an oppressed people. and many have a desire to get involved and to to offer assistance, to offer aid, but we are now actually being invited. We are being officially um, requested, by those who are being oppressed to get involved. Now we this puts us in a difficult spot as a nation, right? We're fighting a trade war with China. Uh again, agree, disagree, approve, disapprove whatever you think of the the trade war, the tariffs and all that kind of stuff. Um we're there. We're involved in that situation. And that is something that that is going to influence this, right? We we've already got somewhat of a rocky relationship with the Chinese government. There's already some some uh, some hard feelings, I guess you could say, uh, in in China and among the Chinese government. And now we are being asked by another group of people to get involved in very possibly an actual physical war with said Chinese government. And so the question then becomes, what do we do about this? How do we go about this? I mean, it it is, do we, do we offer aid? Do we, do we send um, monetary aid to the people of Hong Kong so that they can fight back against their oppressors? And, and, if we do, who do we send it to? right? I mean, is there, there there doesn't seem to be a mailbox set up for you know the the Hong Kong people's resistance or anything like that. Like there, there's like it, it's not as easy as simply sending foreign aid through uh, through the consulate to the Hong Kong government because the Hong Kong government is part of the problem. Right, it's not quite as simple as simply saying, as we saw in the American Revolution, where they had developed the the Continental Congress, they had developed a a leadership structure, they had developed a even a banking system and, and some of those sorts of things and currency and whatnot. That there was there was money that could be uh, exchanged with a clear cut group that is in charge of. The revolution. It doesn't seem to be quite that clear cut in in this particular situation. So it becomes even more difficult to to run down this road. Um, when when we start talking about revolution, there is, in my opinion some very significant criteria that have to be met, right? Like rebelling against the government just because you don't like who the current president is, or he disagrees with your political persuasion, right? Is not a, in my mind, is not a legitimate need for, for revolution, at least not a, a bloody, you know, physical violence kind of revolution. And again, I, I again in admitting some of my ignorance in this, I haven't followed this this situation as closely as I maybe should have. But the reality is, I I don't know if that's what they're calling for. If they're calling for actual military intervention by the United States, but the the. To, to take that step, it has to be, in my opinion, much more significant than just saying, well, I don't like the guy that, that was elected by the majority of the country. I don't like the guy that was elected through the legitimate process of elections within the, within the nation. And so therefore, I'm going to foment some sort of, of, of revolution to overthrow the government. That, to me, is is not revolution. That's treason, and 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 that is true. Like, I disagreed with President Barack Obama on a lot of various issues and and various decisions. I disagreed with Barack Obama on on the health care issue and and some of the others. But it, that does not rise, in my opinion, to um, to the level necessary to call for a revolution to overthrow the the Obama administration same with Trump i i i agree with some of the things that Trump has done i i don't agree with others and and the reality is there's nothing he's done in my mind that would would drive a nation to to overthrow his presidency through some sort of revolution and so, again, I, I, I want to be clear that I'm so that I'm not, you know, talking out of my behind. But I'm not entirely convinced that what is happening in Hong Kong requires the the military intervention of the United States. Now, funding maybe, um, other sorts of material support, possibly but it's not quite as easy as saying hey let's just start you know airdropping weapons into the hong kong people so they can fight back cuz we've seen we've seen some of the protesters in hong kong we've seen some of the folks involved in this holding signs that say we need the second amendment you know they there are some among this group of protesters among this group of of quote unquote marchers as the AP calls them in this article that 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 are calling for violence that are calling for a a violent overthrow if necessary and so um it becomes very very complicated very quickly right the same thing happened with vietnam we you know we get involved in in a situation like that we get involved in korea and the chinese government gets involved and in, i'm not sure that that's a war we want to fight i'm not sure that i am willing uh as an american citizen my daughter's in the national guard um to to send american troops over to hong kong and engage in a battle, which essentially would be a battle with the Chinese military. I mean, it would be full-on war with with the Chinese government. I mean, to to think of that, of taking that step, begins to put a little bit of a uh, of a damper on the negotiations. Right, like it, it gets to a point where we're talking about engaging in a war that literally could envelop hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of soldiers. Like that, that puts us on a level. Um, you're talking, you know, borderline. Catastrophic World War Three kind of events. Now, I'm not saying that it's going to happen, and and, and I'm I, in fact, I would guess that there's going to be a lot of diplomatic um, discussions long before we ever jump to um, you know mobilizing the Pacific Fleet and and um, launching uh, you know a hundred thousand man army onto uh, or into Hong Kong. I mean, you're I don't think we're there yet, but these are all things that have to be considered. It's not quite as simple as, as saying, Hey, let's, uh, yeah, let's go do this. Let's go, let's go dive into, into those waters. Um, it would be a, I don't know. It, it, it would just be a tragic, um, uh, i, I, I now nah, tragic's not the right word i am stumbling over my words here a little bit uh, catastrophic um scenario i think in no matter how it turns out right I mean let's just say for for the sake of argument, we do send the full might of the u s military to Hong Kong for the purpose of of quote unquote liberating as these protesters have have asked for, liberating them from the Chinese government. And let's just say we go in and, and absolutely annihilate and decimate the, the Chinese military in the process. Is that really a win? I mean, is that really what we're... I mean, in, in today's world, do we even have the stomach for that sort of event? I mean, as much as I would like to say, freedom above all else, liberty being a priority. I mean, is it? it what's at it, at what cost? Right, as you've heard me talk about here on the on the podcast before, you've heard me talk about the last line in the in the Declaration of Independence, of them mutually pledging their lives, their fortunes, their sacred honors. Right, They were willing to give up everything. And, and I would guess if you ask some of these Hong Kong protesters, they would repeat that line in some form or another, and they would also be willing to give up everything. But on a, on a world stage, on a global level, at what cost? Where do, we, where do we put a price tag on liberty? I, I don't know that you can. I mean, living here in the United States, I, I talked about this on my terrestrial show the other day, living here in the United States, we live in a country with incredible amounts of liberty. as it relates to a, a lot of things, but using the example specifically of the second amendment, we have an incredible Liberty in purchasing weapons, guns, handguns, firearms of, of all sorts. Um, if you're willing to go through the process of getting the stamps and the various approvals necessary, you can even purchase incredibly expensive, fully automatic weapons. If you, if you get the proper approvals and jump through the proper hoops. I mean, it's incredible, difficult, but it, it, it is doable. And that, and I probably talked about it here on the podcast before too, that creates um, an incredible amount of risk. But as a person who is a lover of liberty and is desirous of freedom to live my life as i so choose with the the utmost autonomy available to me it's a risk i'm willing to take and it's a risk i would be willing if necessary to fight for and obviously the people in hong kong are willing to fight for their liberty. And it started with, if I remember correctly, it started with a bill um, that, that allowed for the extradition of Hong Kong citizens to mainland China to face criminal prosecution, which the concern by the Hong Kong citizens was that that would be abused. And that the Chinese government would use that to imprison people for political reasons and not, you know, genuine criminal reasons. But that it would be used as a political tool to silence dissent against the Chinese government. And I think that's a fair concern. I mean, I think it's a legitimate worry. But they're willing to fight against that kind of tyranny. Do we then as a nation, and again, I I don't know that I, I have an answer to this, but do we as a nation who also values liberty, do we have a moral obligation to, when asked, intervene, to get involved? And if so, how? How do we do that? how do we go about getting involved in a essentially in in the possibility of if not a world war at least a war between superpowers you know the collapse of the russian government in the in the 90s they no longer stand on the the stage as the world superpower. For the longest time, the US was was considered to be the lone superpower in the world. China has since joined those ranks, and I don't think anybody could argue, at least not legitimately, that China isn't a, at the very least, a, a significant driving force in in global politics but I think it's fair to say that they are a quote-unquote superpower by just about any definition of that word. And the intervention of the United States in such a a situation could very possibly lead to a war among superpowers. Now, I think and I hope that both of our leaders, both President Trump and uh, President Xi in China, would not resort to nuclear destruction, but that's hard to say, right? I mean, are, are are we are we going to risk, you know, the quote unquote nuking of Hong Kong for their liberty, you know, and and if 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 Hong Kong were be B2, to were be to be destroyed like we saw the destruction in the 40s in World War II of many British cities and German cities, would they even really be able to recover? Would there would there be anything left to liberate at that point? All of these questions need to be asked before we step into, into these waters, in my opinion. And interestingly enough, it, it seems... The president, who's known for being the uh, who's known for being somewhat impulsive and someone who tweets before he thinks, uh, it seems at least that president and his, the president Trump and his administration um, are considering many of these discussions, and it and it does bring up the reality. it does bring up the reality that for all of the hatred that comes President Trump's way, for his impulsivity, for his, his, like I said, willingness to tweet before he thinks, this seems to be an example of when he is actually taking into consideration all of the various very serious implications that come along with such a situation now there is a a bill i guess that is is working through congress um they're calling it the hong kong bill um, i don 't know really what 's in it i 'm not sure anybody knows what 's really in it um It may simply be a a you know some sort of pathetic statement by the Congress saying we urge the Chinese government to be nice to the people in Hong kong whatever um but there's a lot of very serious implications in all of this and and honestly look i 'm not telling you anything you probably couldn't figure out on your own this isn't this isn 't new Information. I'm not giving you some hot take that nobody else has come up with on this. I'm I'm simply kind of looking at the situation and wondering as a as a a guy who who loves the history of the United States and and truly believes in American exceptionalism. And and I don't mean I, I have to explain this every time I use the word American exceptionalism. It, it feels it seems that I have to explain uh, what that means because. Oftentimes people go, oh, you just think you're better than everybody else. No, that's not at all what an American exceptional is. American exceptionalism is. American exceptionalism is, 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 wow, easy for me to say. American exceptionalism is the idea that in the history of societies, in the history of governments, in the history of empires, in the history of nations, the United States has been the exception. That when we have had opportunity to enslave, to uh, encumber those who have been defeated by us, we have not. When we have had opportunity to, to play the role of captor in a war... We have not done so. In fact, we have helped on many occasions our enemies rebuild. We have given them the tools and the the materials necessary to come out of the destruction that they faced at our hands better than they were before. And to not be our enemies, but to be our allies. And the United States has been the exception. In, in a lot of ways, that's just one. But there's a lot of ways that the United States has been the exception on the stage of world politics. And so, as a guy who believes in American exceptionalism and believes that our way of, of life, our way of doing government is exceptional that we are the exception, that we've done it better on some levels, yes, than many others, and that we are constantly and continuously trying to perfect that way. I want to see that way spread around the world. I want to see liberty and freedom and and justice and all that kind of thing. It's interesting, you, you hear oftentimes people, oh, there's more people incarcerated in the United States than anywhere else in the world. Yeah, that's true. But it's true because we actually punish criminals for doing bad things. There are many places around the world where crime simply goes unchecked. The crime simply gets ignored. We value justice. We value the... the the right of the citizen to be protected from bad people. Now, I'm not saying we, our, our prison system and our criminal justice system is perfect. There's certainly massive amounts of reform that need to take place. And um, I actually interviewed Senator Mike Lee on this very subject a while back uh, for my terrestrial show. And, and so these things are not um, perfect, but they are things that we value and are and are working and have been working to implement. And so, I want to see those sorts of things spread around the world because I believe human beings are better off, generally, because of them. The United States has a, a higher. This is this is actually true. I didn't read. I didn't. I'll see if I can maybe find the article and link it in the show notes. But there was an article written a few years back. Um, that showed how even the poor people in the United States, those who quote-unquote live in poverty or below the, the official, you know, government uh, agreed-upon definition of poverty, living below the poverty line, even those people live better and have a higher standard of living than than the rich, the quote-unquote rich in other countries. One example that I saw given was the the poorest in America, those living below the poverty line, whatever that number is—twenty-four so thousand dollars a year for a family of four, or whatever the number is—I can't remember exactly—but those people have a higher standard of living than some of the the richest upper classes in Italy. And Now, Italy isn't a third world country. Italy isn't a country that that is suffering from you know two dollar a year living annual wages and, you know, and, and people living in mud huts and, 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 uh, and tents out in the jungle. I mean, Italy is a developed country. It's the home of some of the most prestigious brands in the world. Ferrari and Lamborghini and, and on and on the list goes. So this is, this is not some third world hellhole. Italy is a developed country with a, a track record of, of success. But the poorest in America oftentimes are living a higher standard of living than the richest in Italy. Like that, that statistic, when I saw that, it absolutely blew my mind. Like I just kind of always assumed that most of your developed countries, Italy, Great Britain, France, Germany, you know, most of these developed countries around the world, Canada and, and, and others, that, that they had a similar standard of living to those of us here in the U.S., and that's just not true. And so so when I see what the American way, as they call it, has done for us here in the U.S., I want to see that take place around the world. I want to see that American standard of living take place and and be implemented for all of humanity, because I believe all of humanity is better off because of it. Regardless of, again, regardless of what you believe about the U.S., regardless of what you believe about the 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 silliness of some of the stuff that's being pushed with the you know institutionalized racism in the United States is the you know the the most racist country in the world and all this other garbage that's 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 bantied about is it, it just the absurdity of all of that like regardless of what you believe about that a, an objective view of the United States shows to you that in general. The American way of life is better and puts human beings in a better position than just about any other way of life in the entire world, in the history of humankind, really. And so as we discuss or talk about or, or debate whether or not we should, quote-unquote, liberate Hong Kong, some of that discussion has to uh, has to play in, right? Some of that that reality has to play into the discussion. Some of the reality that the the American way of life is of great benefit to the world has to be a part of that discussion. So. I don't think it's as easy as saying we can't get involved because China and the risks of engaging in whether it's it's financial, you know, trade war, whether it's it's an actual physical um, presence in Hong Kong by the American military or simply aiding through financial means. The, the Hong Kong protesters or whatever. It's not as simple as saying, nope, can't do it. It's not worth the risk. Because if we believe what we believe is really real, if we believe that what we believe is really true, we, we theoretically, we have a, a, a moral obligation to be involved. But again, the costs have to be weighed the cost to the american taxpayer the cost to the 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 very possible destruction of the property of hong kong citizens the very real of the the very real possibility of the loss of life of hong kong protesters of american citizens and soldiers like it's not as simple as yeah, let's do it. Let's go gangbusters and 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 kick those commie bastards in the teeth, right? It's not quite that simple. And and this is one of the things that as I've been reading about this just the last couple of days, this is one of the things that that I've had to maybe even reevaluate my own view of the world, the the macho cowboy kind of idea of, "Hey, either you straighten up and fly right or we'll come kick your butt because we can." may not always be the best take, may not always be the the most logical solution. Because it begins to make you question whether or not might makes right. Doesn't it? I mean, it, it does, quote unquote, might make right. I think oftentimes might is just that. And what makes right is morality. What makes might or what makes right isn't might but what makes right is a legitimate access that's not the right word a legitimate claim to authority and just because you got bigger guns than everybody else doesn't mean you have a legitimate claim to that authority. I think there has to be a moral component it, regardless of what your morals are right regardless of of what you believe, about, you know, whether it's faith, religion or whatever, there has to be a an an objective morality. as a portion of that legitimate claim to authority. I think the United States has developed over the years, regardless of our flaws, regardless of the the bad actors who have done bad things in in the name of the U.S. government, as a whole, the American people, the, the American way of life, as I've called it, has established a legitimate claim to authority through our morality, through our exceptionalism. But it's not just that, is it? There's a lot that goes into this and and I've maybe I've maybe created more questions than I've created answers or or given answers to, at least I feel like I have in my own mind, but it's something that I'm going to be paying a little bit more attention to and trying to think through what situ- situations what scenarios would would create a, well, I guess what would create a situation or scenario where it would be legitimate for us as a nation to get involved in the Hong Kong protests and the quote-unquote as they are asking for the liberation from China. So, like I said, maybe I've created more questions than I've I've given answers. At least I I feel like I have in my own head. I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Join me in the Telegram group. Um, we're on Telegram. Uh, I'll maybe post a link to joining the Telegram group. We had to in, implement a Captcha bot uh, in the Telegram group in order to uh, prevent we were getting some uh, some spammers and things like that in the Telegram group. so we had to implement a CAPTCHA bot. But if you're not on Telegram, go to go to Telegram. It's it's on your phone. It's on they've they've got an app for it on your phone, whether it's Android or Apple, it doesn't really matter. Um, there's an app that you can download for your computer, both for Macs and and Windows machines and Linux machines and and all of that, so you can download uh, the Telegram group. Or the Telegram app and join it, and and I'll put a link. I'll try to put a link in the show notes uh, to join the uh, the the Schmidt Show Schmidtheads Telegram group, um, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Join us in there. Um, I try to respond as often as I can to some of the stuff, and it's not all politics. We, I mean, uh, Steve's been sharing some pictures of his campfire, which has been great. I've really enjoyed that, and and uh, there's a lot of discussion that goes on there on on a lot of different things. But I, I, I'm trying to. One of the things that I struggle with doing the podcast that I that I don't get to do on the podcast that I do on my terrestrial show. On my terrestrial show, I'm able to take phone calls and and emails and text messages during the show. Um, and it just makes for better content in my opinion. Um, when I have interaction with you, the listeners, um, and so, um, I'm trying to kind of figure out how to, how to make that happen, um, and make that a reality through, um, through the telegram group. So I will put a link to the, um, the telegram group in the show notes. So please join the telegram group and, uh, and, uh, discuss, share, comment, like, subscribe, whatever all they do. I don't don't think you can like or subscribe in Telegram because it doesn't have that kind of silly stuff, but... Uh, We're also on Facebook, facebook facebook.com slash Schmidt Show. We're on Instagram, all that kind of stuff. I don't do a whole lot on social media. I'm just not a big social media guy. And maybe I would, you know, gain more listeners and and more downloads and and Patreon supporters and all that kind of stuff if I did. But uh, for me, this is just genuinely a passion. I like to talk about this stuff. So um, of course, I'd love to make money off of it and become a millionaire and all that sort of thing. But the reality is, uh, this is just something I'm passionate about. I want to talk about. If you do want to support us, you can do that. You know how to use Patreon. I'm not going to sit here and beg for money. Um, I've mentioned it enough times, I think in the, in the 52 episodes that I've put out. Um, but yeah, it it is, um, it is, uh, it is, I think I do better content, um, when there's more interaction from you, the listener. So, uh, join, join telegram, join the group, all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll try and, and create more, Discussion and uh, we'll do that, and maybe someday down the road we'll uh, we'll do a live version of the Schmidt Show. We tried it early on; we had a lot of trouble with video. We seem to have gotten some of that stuff figured out, Uh, but again, that gets very expensive, having to uh, pay streaming services and and all those sorts of things as well. Um, So we've kind of put that on hold. We're still um, we've got the new studio set up for it, and we've got a couple of uh, inexpensive uh, webcams to 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 do that. But it's just something that we're Working on, uh, and we're not really quite ready because I, I felt like we just weren't doing a very good job of it. And I would rather put out good content than than just be on it, you know, on whatever platform just to say that we're on that platform. So, anyway, the Schmidt Show continues next week. I am your host, Brad Schmidt. Thanks for joining me this week, and and uh, thanks for being a part of the show. Uh, Look forward to uh, talking with you again next week. I believe Noah is going to be back, so we'll be joined again by the Hig next week. Hopefully, Uh, he was in Vegas this weekend, uh, gambling his life away. I guess who knows what he was actually doing. I don't think he was actually gambling at all. But anyway, we'll give him a hard time about it next week. You'll have to join us and hear what he has to say about whatever it is we're talking about. I'm Brad Schmidt. This has been the Schmidt Show. We'll see you next week.